Well, good morning and uh, welcome to all of you, especially our visitors. We greet you in Christ's name. And I want to thank you for coming out this morning and, and uh, joining uh, Luke and Vance in this special time, uh, this time of rejoicing. You know, we live in a day when more and more sin comes out of the closet. What a privilege it is to be a part of a moment when faith and righteousness comes out of the closet. And uh, what, a, what a blessing. Well, Luke and Vance, I've, I've given it a considerable amount of thought this morning, what I want to share with you. And uh, I'm going to step away from the usual sermon of, uh, concerning baptism. Uh, I'm, I'm very confident that uh, Pastor Laverne has uh, equipped the two of you with an adequate knowledge of baptism concerning the step that you're taking this morning. Instead, I want to give you something for your journey. And even more than that, something for the finish. You know how important it is even this morning here at the beginning that we, we pull out the scope, we scan the horizon, and we set our gaze upon the finish. And to do that, I want to put in front of you, set in front of you, words that are not original with me. That the words of Jesus himself and what I would consider the greatest sermon that has ever been preached... There are several things that make this, this sermon uh, nothing short of amazing. First of all, it was presented by a master communicator. Anybody can, uh, can make some, something difficult. Our, our government's a, a great example of this. Every day, approximately 50 new laws or regulations get added to the thousands we already don't understand. But Jesus was different. Jesus took hard things, difficult things, and made them simple to grasp. He took what was difficult, complicated, and unknown, and he would place beside it something that everyone would recognize. He took the familiar, and that familiar became the window through which you would look and see that which you did not understand. For example, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. He takes the kingdom of heaven, something that's, that's hard, complex, even invisible, and he puts beside it this mustard seed, something that you could hold, touch, even feel. And that became the window through which you could grasp and understand the kingdom of heaven. There was a freshness to his approach. Even his critics said, we've never heard a man speak like this. You see, by this time, the people knew what it was like to sleep in church. They, uh, can you imagine the hours that sitting under the, the teaching of a law by a scribe or a Pharisee as he split hairs with some of the 600 rules or laws of the Mishnah? You see, Jesus didn't pass opinions. He communicates truth. You've heard it said, but I say unto you that there's more. What Jesus shared was nothing short of radical. He said, except your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. Imagine how that went down. He wasn't afraid to challenge the status quo. You've heard it said, thou shalt not kill, but I say unto you, whosoever is angry with his brother without cause is in danger of judgment. If thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them that despitefully use you. Stop doing your alms before men. No more show business. Stop making a scene when you fast. Clean yourselves up. Pray in your closets. Stop praying in the streets. You imagine how radical that was for those people in that day? You realize that's still radical? 
You see, Jesus longed for people to understand that God is not in the show business. He isn't impressed with performers or performances. Nor is he in the business of repairing. He doesn't fix people. You see, what God is, he's in the business of transforming. Creating what has never existed, creating anew, and making the impossible possible. Changing the heart right down to the, to the nucleus, the cells within, changing you. Enough said. Let's go to our text in Matthew 7. Jesus concludes that sermon with a very simple story. It's a story all of you know. About two builders, each building a house. And that story is one ends up with disaster because of a storm. The other one, his house stands. He finishes well. But you see, Jesus is not talking about building a literal house. He's talking about building a, building a life. A life that doesn't end with disaster. A life that's wise, solid. One that's built on Christ with values, good decisions, and solid principles. A life that weathers storms. And finishes well. He's talking about an unsinkable life. I'm convinced this morning if I asked you, do you want to end up with disaster? Not one of you would say yes. But if I followed up that question with this question, what's your plan in avoiding disaster? I'm convinced that many of you couldn't give me a solid answer. Oh, you might be able to give me a good generic answer that sounds really religious. But the reality is, if you admit it, you really don't have a plan. This morning I have some really good news for you. Jesus does. Jesus has a plan where your life will not end in disaster. Coming back to the beginning of the chapter, Jesus says, Judge not that ye be not judged. That verse is a favor with many, including non-Christians. Even our liberal media has mastered it. And it's interpreted, never make any kind of moral judgment. That clearly isn't what Jesus was talking about. Or he would have never talked about two gates... Later on, because it takes moral judgment to decide between the gates. Nor would he have mentioned bad leaders, because it takes a moral judgment to discern a bad leader. So Jesus is not talking about never making a moral judgment of anyone. So what's he talking about? Well, the Greek word for judge is the Greek word is krino. And it has to, we get the English words critical or criticize. What Jesus was saying, stop only condemning or stop only criticizing. I think it's one of the most prevalent sins in the church today. We not only condone it, we encourage it. All of you know the process. We take someone... We look at what they wear, what they drive, and what they own, and how they conduct themselves. And then we pull out a label, and we put it on them. Even God knows our process. He said man looks on the outside, but he looks at the heart. You see, the problem is not making a moral judgment. The problem is that we lack mercy. You see, we always assume or think the worst rather than thinking the best. I'm convinced most people do not have an idea or clue what true judgment is about. So I'll show you. 
Zechariah 7, it says, notice what it says. And the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Execute true judgment, and show mercy and compassions every man to his brother, and oppress not the widow, nor the fatherless, the stranger, nor the poor, and let none of you, get this, imagine evil against his brother in your heart. people refused to hear Zechariah and it says their hearts became as stone I thought of what uh, Pastor Laverne is teaching us locked hearts couldn't receive love, couldn't give it Vance and Luke the reason why I think this is so important for you to hear even now is because of what God says Notice what it says. Judge not that ye be judged, for with what judgment ye judge, it shall be ju you shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured unto you. The first secret is this. What you give always comes back. It's the boomerang effect. The people who are the most critical tend to receive the most criticism. That's why Jesus says, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that despitefully use you. Why? Because it comes back to you. And beyond that, the longer I live, the, the more I realize, and the more I'm involved in people's lives, the more I realize how shallow our relationships can be and how little we really know what's going on in, in a person's life and in his heart. And how inadequate externals can be in giving us the real picture of a person's heart. The struggles, the triumphs, the hurts, the strengths, the dreams, the relationships, good or bad. I had a nephew that I thought that I knew. On the surface, everything seemed well. But a month ago, he took his own life. And I have, to, I have to come to the terms that I really didn't know his heart. I didn't know the, the, the struggles, the pain, the despair, the hopelessness he faced. I didn't know that. And that opportunity is forever gone. You see, Jesus turns to an exaggerated illustration. And the illustration has to do with someone taking the beam, who has a beam in his own eye and removing the speck in someone else's eye. Doesn't the hypocrisy just hit you in the face? How ironic it is that the things that irritate us about others usually are things we struggle with ourselves. A number of years ago, I was using a table saw, and uh, I got this speck of wood in my eye, in spite of all the efforts of my wife and I, we couldn't get it out. And so I went to the doctor. But can you imagine that doctor walking in, this, this, this large piece of wood in his eye, and his eyes are watering, and he comes to me and says, you know, let me see if I can help you with your speck. <laughs> or how about if he'd have walked in with a chainsaw, a chisel, and a vice grip, and said, I think I can, I can do this. You know what the first thing that that doctor did? He prepared himself. He put on some special glasses so he could see my speck. Luke and Vance, in life you're going to meet a lot of individuals who have idiosyncrasies, inconsistencies, and even sin. Don't be gullible. Don't ignore the obvious. Be discerning. Make a moral judgment, but do so with a great deal of mercy, gentleness, and compassion. Charles Spurgeon says, um, well, let's go on. That's one of the secrets of an unsinkable life. Verse 6. It says, give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before the swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. 
You see, there are people who will always resist God, some even to their dying breath. They're going to resist God. But that doesn't mean we stop presenting the gospel, nor does it mean we stop living it. What it does mean, there comes a time when we shake the dust off our feet and we take the message to someone else. Charles Spurgeon said, Christians are not judges, but neither are they simpletons. You see, when someone resists, it doesn't mean we stop fighting for the souls and the minds of men. And in times of resistance, we do not give up, never. You know what we do? Look at what it says. We look up. It says, ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that re- asketh, receiveth, and he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Or what man is, is there of you wh- whom... of if his son asks bread, he will give him a stone. Or if he asks fish, he will give him a serpent. One of the secrets to, the, to an unsinkable life is persistence. We never give up. Uh, we stay at it. We keep asking. We keep on seeking. Your dads, even in their uh, imperfection, gave what you asked, gave good, good things. They supplied your needs. But imagine what, uh, what an, an unlimited heavenly father can give you when you ask, you seek, and you knock. Persistence. Never give up. Be persistent. Verse 12 is another secret. It's what we know as the golden rule. It says, therefore, all things whatsoever you would do, that men should do unto you, do even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. It's the fourth secret. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. A very simple. This past month, I went through uh, some of the things that I went through. I went through a, a time of deep discouragement. And uh, I can't point to everything that brought me there. But one of the things I can tell you, I can tell you what freed me. I admitted to God that I was, I was selfish about life. And I confessed it as sin. And I asked Jesus to take that ground I had given to the devil, to take it back and put something else in it. And man, did that, it was just like a cloud lifted off of me. And what a different perspective I got on life. Luke and Vance... In this journey, remember, it is, it is, it's, it's not about just about you. It's about others. And one of the things that keeps you from being selfish is having a big perspective on life. It's imperative. You know, at this point in the sermon, I imagine Jesus pausing and he... Imagine him looking into the faces of the people that were listening. And it was a deep, penetrating gaze. And he looks deep within the heart of each of those people. And he asks a question. The question is this. What will you do with the truth you now know? He asked the questions with four paired alternatives. Two paths, two gates. A little later, he offers two trees, two teachers. And beyond that, there are two claims, and followed by two different foundations. Only two. There's never the third. There's never another alternative. He never gives us the luxury of waiting and choosing something else. Or choosing later. We all choose one or the other. Notice the contrast. Enter ye in at the gate, straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many be there which go, which go in thereat. 
because the straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Notice the contrast. One gate is wide, the other is narrow. The one gate many find, the other, the other few find. One leads to life, one leads to destruction. I realized this morning that this kind of teaching just really isn't very popular. How subtly we can stray from truth. C.S. Lewis writes in, of his experience as a boy, he writes, I was, soon, uh, I was soon altering, I believe, with one does feel. Oh, oh, the relief of it. From the tyrannous noon of revelation, I, I passed into the cool evening twilight of higher thought. There was nothing to be obeyed, nothing to be believed, except that which was either comforting or exciting. You see, that's how the Broadway is. It's comforting, it's exciting, it's stimulating. Stop believing that the gate has to be narrow. Luke and Vance, I want you to know Jesus never gives us that luxury. Let's define the gate. Jesus says in John 10, verse 9, I am the door, and if any man enter, there, enter in, he shall be saved. He shall go in and out and find pasture. And again in John 14, 16, Jesus says unto him, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Luke and Vance, I want you to notice the definite articles in those statements, how they are always singular, just one. I am the way, the door, the life, and the truth. Even now, Luke and Vance, I'm placing several warnings before you. The first warning is this. There is only one gate, it's a narrow gate, that leads to eternal life, and that gate is Jesus. Our message is narrow. It's offensive for people to hear that there is only one way. It's even considered intolerant. But never, ever apologize for it. You know why? Because that's the only gate that leads to eternal life. The only, the only other alternative God gives you is hell. Recently in my studies, I learned why hell is so horrible. Those who resist and reject God will have the opportunity of experiencing eternity without his attributes. All God does is remove his attributes. God is love. You will not find it in hell. All there is is hatred. God is light. You won't find that in hell either. All there will be is darkness. Jesus said he gives us rest. You won't find that in hell. There will be a constant wailing and torment. Jesus, God said he is the life. In hell, there will be only death. There will never be, there will be a separation from all relationship. That's what hell will be like. Jesus said, I'm the water of life. In hell, there will be no water. All of you know how on a hot day, a drop, how little a drop does to cool our thirst. But in hell, the torment will be so horrible that even one drop would bring a momentarily relief. The only alternative gives to anyone is a narrow gate. Luke and Vance, when we consider this narrow message, we need to consider the one who delivers it. Matthew 7, verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravening wolves. We need to be careful and discerning concerning those whom you follow. Notice the marks of a false teacher. They are deceptive, 
The message is carefully spun and crafted. They are appealing. They're good with words. They make you feel good. They say nice things. And appearance is everything to them. You know why? Because they're carnivores. They eat sheep. They feed on sheep. There's only one kind of teacher that deserves to be followed. And it's the one who embraces the truth not only in word, but in deed. You have a teacher who teaches on James 3 on controlling the tongue. And he doesn't control his tongue. You don't follow him. You have a teacher who teaches 1 Thessalonians 4 on a moral life. And he lives in adultery. You don't follow that kind of teacher. You know why? Because he's a false teacher. He's living a lie. I recently heard the testimony of a man who was part of a church that departed from the truth. And he was asked, why did you leave that church? And what he said gripped me. He said, those people would have loved me right into hell. How do you discern false teachers? Jesus tells us. Notice what it says. You shall know them by their fruit. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. And a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire, whereby, wherefore by their fruit you shall know them. You can tell false teachers by simply looking at their life. Seeing if, if they're what they live, what they teach, is what they live. You know why that's so important? Why is it that when pastors wobble, what happens to those who, f who follow pastors who wobble in the pulpit? Well, Jesus tells us that too. False leaders create false followers. Notice what he says. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many shall say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have, have cast out devils? And in, that day, in thy name done many wonderful works? You know, those words ought to jolt us. You know why? Because the deception is incredibly good. It looks right. It sounds right. It even feels right. Proverbs 14, 12 says that there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is the ways of death. I like the paraphrase by Eugene Peterson. He puts it this way. There's a way that looks harmless enough, but look again. It leads straight to hell. Sure, these people appear to be having a good time, but all that laughter will turn to heartbreak. You know what's wrong? This isn't what they said. They were saying some of the right things. Nor is it what they did. They were doing some of the right things. What's wrong is what was missing. What was missing was a vibrant living faith. A faith where someone had really met Christ and experienced conversion, regeneration, experienced God within. A relationship. He talked, walked, lived for Christ. The longer I live, the more I realize that many who say they are saved are, are not. Let me say that again. The longer I live, the more I realize that many who say they are saved are not. 
You know why? The fruit. Somehow there's an idea if I say the right words, I say the right prayer, make the right confession, and get baptized, that I magically have eternal life. It doesn't work like that because there aren't any words or any ceremonies that can ever take the place of a real encounter with God called conversion. You see, where there's no life, there's no fruit, a lie is being lived. At our home a number of years ago, we had a tree that was struck by And uh, I tried hard to save that tree. Uh, I tried several different things, but uh, I didn't succeed. And today, the bark is falling off the tree. It no longer has any leaves. And I don't think I could convince even one of you that that tree has life. But how many of you would sit here this morning and say, you have eternal life, but your tree is bare? Are we saved by faith alone? Absolutely. Without even one ounce of work. But what we don't seem to get is where there is conversion, life, and the Spirit of God, our faith never continues to abide alone. It bears fruit. If you look back over your life, Is there a consistent fruit of righteousness? Yes, we fail. Yes, we fall at times, even into sin. But the person who's truly converted and saved deals with it. He gets back up. Jesus said the righteous man falls seven times, and he gets back up. We don't let it slide. We don't shrug it off. We deal with it. You know why? Because anyone who's met Jesus wants to be like Jesus. And we hate sin. Luke and Vance, that's the fourth warning I have for you. Never deceive yourselves into believing you can possess eternal life and never bear fruit. Real faith never remains sterile and alone. It produces, it produces, it produces. You know what God says to those individuals? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Can you imagine hearing those kinds of words? Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Iniquity is lawlessness. Those of you that continually work lawlessness, depart from me. John writes in his epistle, he says, He that is born of God sinneth not, meaning habitually as a practice of life, because his seed remaineth in him. I like the paraphrase. It says, those born of God don't practice sin because God's DNA remains in them. Charles Spurgeon writes, there are tens of thousands to whom the preaching of the gospel is as music to the ears of a corpse. They shut their ears and they will not hear. They're Though the testimony be concerning God's only Son and life eternal and the way to escape everlasting life to their own best interests, to their own eternal benefit, men are dead. Nothing will secure their attention to their God. So what are these men like? They may be fitly compared to the one who built no house whatever and remained homeless by day and shelterless by night. And when the worldly troubles come like a storm, these persons will not hear the words of Jesus and have no consolation to cheer them. 
When sickness comes, they have no joy of heart to sustain them under its pains. They feel its full fury, but they cannot find a hiding place. And he concludes with words that drip with sadness. They neglect the souls. That brings us back to the story of two builders. All of us are going to choose even this morning to be one builder or the other. We have all heard the words of Jesus. You see, building is not optional. What is optional is what we build upon. You can hear the words of Jesus today and you can walk away and forget you've ever heard them. Or we can hear them, believe them, and do something about it. We all are going to make one choice or the other. You see, the amazing thing is we can all leave here and never tell anyone what our choice was. And yet, everyone will know sooner or later what our choice was. You know why? There's going to be a storm that comes and hits your life. And that storm is going to beat on your house and it will reveal what you've built on, whether it's sand or whether you stepped and stood on a rock, whether you built your house. And if it's sand, your house is going to fall. There will be disaster and calamity. And if it's built on the rock, it will stand. Luke and Vance, God never promises us a life without storms. He never promises us that life will seem fair. He doesn't even promise us that our life, that our house won't be shaken or that we'll never get wet. But what he does promise us, and this is the last secret, is when real faith hears the word of God and is mixed with action, our house will stand. That's the promise. Isn't that amazing? Thank you, Lord. He guarantees it. <laughs> well, this morning, uh, it's a privilege to be a part of, of these uh, young men's lives. And even though Pastor Laverne has been leading the class, I took some time and I stepped into the class because I, I wanted to know their heart. I wanted to know uh, where they were at. And, and, I, and I appreciate the questions, the interest in and they're the things of God, and, and I want to be that encouragement to them today. And so, um, Vance, if, if you would like to step forward, and Rich and Rita, and uh, you may uh, share your testimony. <coughs> when I first gave or accepted Christ, I was around the age of six, uh, Right then, I didn't really know what it meant to be a Christian. My life didn't really change at all. But through my walk with Christ, I have tried to work on some issues, and I have conquered over those issues. And I try to walk in the Lord and always try to think what would Jesus do or always try to see if I could do like be like Christ or try to live a life for him. Um... Ever since then, I have followed uh, him through my daily life, and I have always tried to apply him to my life and try to preach others and try to help them. But sometimes I struggle with not listening or not really thinking before I speak. But, yeah, just please pray for me that I can conquer those issues. I guess uh, as parents, Reed and I just really, this is a... Uh, joyful time for us. Uh, 
to see our son make a decision like this. And it didn't just start over, it just didn't happen overnight. Um, it, was, it was a process in the, just Vance, in the past couple years, we not only saw you grow physically, but you, we saw you grow spiritually. And it's exciting. Um, don't, don't lose that zeal. I've seen you speak truth when you knew you were going to get opposition and ridicule for that. And that was good. Um, keep your eye on the goal. Keep your eye on the target. Um, <clears throat> sometimes we fail to keep our eye on the target. And for us, um, sometimes I think I got an email from my boss the other day because <clears throat> that relationship was strained because my target and his target were different. And I, he sent me a picture of what we think success is. And uh, our vision of success is we got us here and the target is here and it's a straight line. And that's not reality, that's not life. And as long as you keep the eye on the target, you will be successful. As you take off, there will be a lot of squigglies. There will be a lot of zigzags. Just encourage you to keep, keep your eye on the target, uh, keep your eye on the goal, and you'll be successful. I uh, just want to encourage you, your mom and I want to be your greatest cheerleaders to um, cheer you on in being a successful life, a life that's pleasing to God. Thank you, Rich. Sounds like you've lived life. believe in the one true God as the creator and sustainer of life? I do. Do you believe in Jesus Christ as the only begotten Son of God and he is the Savior of the world to redeem man from his lost estate and through him we can have eternal life? I do. Do you believe in the Holy Ghost as the one who has drawn you and will continue to lead you into all truth? I do. Are you sorry for your past sins and have you found freedom in the forgiving power and the blood of Jesus Christ? Do you, Vance, promise to submit to God and with the aid of the Holy Spirit to live a life holy and fully committed to God? I do. All right, you may kneel. Upon this confession before God and these witnesses, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this moment. Lord, we rejoice. We rejoice for Vance and his allegiance, his declaration before all these witnesses. Father, even more to the principalities and the powers and the spiritual, the wickedness in high places. Lord, we are grateful. Father, I would pray, pray a special anointing on Vance's life. I would pray for a filling of your spirit. I would pray for wisdom in his life. I would pray for good decisions and solid decisions that would honor you. And above all, Father, I would pray that he keeps his eye on the goal, that he keeps his eye on the target, that you, would, that you would keep him until he arrives home safe. I would pray this in Jesus' name. Father in heaven, blessing on Vance's life for this step of life that he's made. He's uh, not uh, let his scare of speaking in front of people, uh, his testimony, even that uh, stand in his way. Mm -hmm. God, I just pray a hedge of protection around his life uh, from the enemy, <coughs> the evil. Just pray for that protection around him. Just want to give him the room to grow, uh, but most of all, that you eye on the target and not to be distracted with the things of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
advance in the name of Jesus Christ and his church, I give you my hand of fellowship and welcome you into the communion and the fellowship of this body. As long as you are faithful to the doctrines of his word and are willing to submit yourself to his lordship and this body, we will consider you a member and a brother of this church body. accepted Christ when I was young. I'm not exactly sure what age that was. Uh, one thing I struggled with was pride, uh, thinking that I know what is best. God has been showing me how I need to simply obey those in authority instead of doing things my way. Accepting Christ was definitely the best decision I've ever made. It's pretty amazing to me how Jesus died to save my soul and how he guides us in our lives to follow the right paths. Lately, he's been teaching me how to have a servant's heart in my day-to-day -day life and also how to remain humble. Looking forward, I'm hoping my life can have a positive influence to those I interact with and those around me. Well, uh, Debbie and I are just so uh, excited about today, and uh, and it is a delight to uh, to have Luke um, to have made this decision. And uh, obviously, as he shared, you know, he's received. Um, and experience salvation and, and redemption, being born again before this day. But uh, to just declare publicly to to the uh, um, this physical group of witnesses, but also to testify or declare to to the the uh, in the heavenlies, you know. And we don't know what all goes on in the spirit world, you know. But one thing I I uh, that I'm convinced of is that when a person publicly declares that they are part of the kingdom of God, that, um, that the, the powers of darkness as well as the, uh, the powers of light or the, the, the angels of God and so on, take note. And uh, so today, um, just excited that he's declaring that. And I love what you shared, Rich. That was excellent about the, the target. And our idea is that's right our idea is it's right there because you know for us who enjoy hunting and so on you know we think we got to get it right on target uh, but it's it's a it's life life is bigger than just from here to there even though it is that little hyphen you know the little dash god takes us on a journey each of us uh the journey is crafted for each of us personally and luke the journey that the Lord has you on, we don't know what all that that is or how how that all will look. But the key is that you stay on the journey. And as Pastor Keith shared, staying on the path, the narrow path. So we just love you and are proud of you. Do you believe in the one true God as the creator and sustainer of life? I do. Do you believe in Jesus Christ as the only begotten Son of God and that he is the Savior of the world to redeem man from his lost estate and through him that we can have eternal life? I do. Do you believe in the Holy Ghost as the one who has drawn you and will continue to lead you into all truth? I do. Are you sorry for your past sins and have you found freedom in the forgiving power of the blood of Jesus Christ? I have. Do you, Luke, promise to submit to God and with the aid of the Holy Spirit live a life wholly and fully committed to God? I do. Give me a meal.
upon your confession before God and these witnesses, I baptized you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, again, as we bow before you, we do so with rejoicing. Father, we rejoice for those who have chosen the narrow gate, who have chosen life. How sad it would be to come to the end of our lives and realize we've never really lived. Lord, we're grateful that Luke has made a wise choice. He's chosen to build on a rock. And we rejoice with that. Father, again, I would pray that you would keep him, that you would empower him, that you would guide him, and that you would keep him safe until he arrives home. We pray this in Jesus' name. Father, we uh, just agree with what Keith has prayed. And, and um, today, Debbie and I just want to declare that um, as we have given Luke, as we have given Luke, um, to you many years ago when he was when you gave uh, him to us to care for as a baby and and Lord as we um, gave him to you and um, throughout the years have um, numerous times just again declared that that he is while he is our son he is first yours mm-hmm. and Lord today as he has um, decided to uh, confess publicly and, and take this step of obedience and baptism, uh, to declare publicly to uh, people here and also to all the powers that be that he has chosen to be part of the kingdom of God. And we pray that um, every day he would remember that and that the distractions that may come, the lies Satan would like to bring or will bring, that he wouldn't be... Uh, a, um, a fool for those temptations or those lies but he would be a wise man who builds on the rock mm-hmm. Amen. pray in Jesus name Amen. Amen. Luke in the name of Jesus Christ and his church I give you the hand of fellowship and welcome you into the communion of the church and the fellowship of this body As long as you are faithful to the doctrines of his word and are willing to submit yourself to his lordship in this body, we will consider you a member and a brother of this church body.